It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Welcome to my study where we're going to study the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but in a different way from a different perspective. Most Christians celebrate the resurrection by looking through a historical lens at what Jesus accomplished then when he came forth from the tomb and a futuristic lens of what will result uh, and the day of resurrection when we rise to meet the Lord in the air. But I want to talk about the right here, right now aspect of our inheritance. In fact, as soon as Jesus rose from the dead, a gushing river, a mighty river of grace began flowing through this world. The grace of God's purpose and God's power that would envelop every believer. And if you get caught in that river, you'll be swept downstream into the purpose of God and the power of the triumphant life that Jesus came to give us. Again, right here, right now. So we're going to tap into resurrection life while I'm sharing this revelation, I'm sure. First, let me identify a title, a name God has given us that relates to this particular teaching. It's found in Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. This is where some Sadducees are discussing with Jesus whether or not there's such a thing as a resurrection, because the Sadducees were the elite in Israel. They were the ruling class, so to speak. They were the intellectuals. They tended to be among the wealthy. And so they also tended to remove certain supernatural elements from the Word of God. They did not believe in spirits, and they did not believe in angelic beings. They did not believe in the resurrection. And so they're conversing with Jesus, and they said, Master, if a man's brother die, having a wife, and he die without children, and his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother— And there were therefore seven brethren, and the first took a wife and died without children. The second took her to wife. The third, the fourth, the fifth, all of them had her as a wife, and they all died off. (laughs) And last of all, the woman died also. And here's their question. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrected state? For seven had her to wife. And Jesus Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy of that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. And I love this next statement. Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, 
And the God of Jacob, for he is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. And if you have been saved and if God has infused your spirit with his presence and his life-giving grace, then you are among the living. You are alive in Christ. Now, let's go into the seven present tense benefits of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, something you can claim right now and expect to manifest in your life. Number one, deliverance from spiritual death. Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five says, but God, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. He quickened us. He resurrected us to a place of strength and confidence and overcoming grace. He made us alive together with Christ. And so when Jesus came out of the grave, believers were delivered from spiritual death then potentially. And we just tap into the power that was released in that event And there's an overflow of resurrection life into the heart of every person who repents and believes and makes Jesus his or her Lord. Then that person is resurrected spiritually and the bonds of death fall off. No wonder one writer said, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Because see, this resurrection spiritually is not a one-time event. It did not just happen the day you got saved. It's a constant resource for you. You're being hit with death-dealing blows all the time, mentally and emotionally. You go through struggles, confusion, fear, doubt, depression, discouragement, self-condemnation, guilt, shame, and many other things that work death into your soul. If If they can, they'll try to overwhelm you and overcome you. But the life of God, the resurrection life of God in you is stronger than the death-dealing elements outside of you. And the Bible did say, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And so there's a chain of events. If you happen to falter, if you happen to make an error, then spiritual death should overtake you and overwhelm you and swallow you up again. But because God's life abides within you, the scripture says it beautifully in Romans chapter 8, I believe it's around verse 2, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. See, the law of sin and death is that inevitable chain of events that if you make an error, if you commit a sin, if you go the wrong way, then death sets in again. Death is a stalker, ever ready to pounce on you. The first time sin was mentioned in the Bible, it was described as a ravenous beast just outside the door. And that was the conversation God had with Cain. So it's always there, ready to destroy ready to darken your soul with spiritual death. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ, see, you cannot be in Christ unless you are abiding in the vine. 
That means you're under his headship, under his authority. Maybe you faltered, but you get back on your knees, you repent, you reconnect with God, and the life of God in you once again throws the chains of death off of you. That's why one way or the other you can win and you can be victorious in him. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. See, it's still an overflow of resurrection power. It makes you free from the law of sin and death. Number two, the second thing that is a right now, right here in this world, inheritance that we can tap into is the restoration of spiritual breath. Do you remember in the beginning that after God formed the man out of the dust of the ground, he breathed into him and he became a what? He became a living soul. Now, after Adam and Eve fell, he was still a soul. He still had a soul within him, but that soul was no longer alive with the presence of God. It was a dead soul. It was a dead soul. And so the breath of God took his departure. See, the breath of God is different than human breath. Some songs that we sing in worship services mingle the two ideas together erroneously. But see, God doesn't breathe oxygen and nitrogen and hydrogen. He doesn't uh, die of asphyxiation if he moves outside of the atmosphere where he cannot breathe properly. Of course not. That's absurd. God breathes his own divine essence. And that's why when Jesus rose from the dead, when he appeared in the upper room to the disciples, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that was partially fulfilled in that moment where they felt the presence of God coming around them and completely fulfilled Many days later, after Jesus ascended into heaven and there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. I think it's significant that in the Hebrew, the same word translated spirit is translated breath and translated wind. Because the wind that came in the upper room was the breath of God. It was the wind of heaven. It was the spirit of the living God. Praise God for that. So God has restored spiritual breath to you. God has breathed into your spirit if you have his spirit abiding within you. He's restored to you what Adam lost in the beginning. Number three, the third right here, right now, benefit of the resurrection that you can tap into is called justification. Let me read from Romans chapter 4, verse 25. That verse says that Jesus was delivered for our offenses, delivered up to the cross, delivered up unto death. He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now, what does that mean? That is such a powerful word and one of the most powerful biblical concepts in the New Testament because justification means vindication. It means to be exonerated. It means to be legally acquitted of all guilt just as if you never sinned. Did you hear what I just said? Just as if you never sinned. It's not just God covering over some past era. Is God canceling it 
and causing it to cease to exist as far as he's concerned, because he said your sins and iniquities he would remember no more. And if God's forgotten, maybe you should forget, right? Justification. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who even makes intercession for us. Who can stand against God's elect? Who can fight against God's chosen ones? Because it is God who justifies. If God decides to justify you, that's all you need to know. People may still criticize and condemn, but if you are forgiven, if you are washed, if you are cleansed, if you are renewed in the righteousness of God, then you have been justified. And that's a present tense right now aspect of our inheritance because Romans 5.17 says we have received the gift of righteousness. Think of that, the gift of righteousness. And that is something that is renewed moment by moment. Now, what made you righteous to begin with? The blood of Jesus cleansing you, wiped out, blotted out all your sins, and then God gifted you with his own righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him that's humanly unattainable. You could never be that righteous by your own merits or by your own works. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God, which is renewed moment by moment. Because the scripture says, though the outer man perishes, the inward man, which is created in righteousness, the scripture says, the inward man is renewed day by day. But I'll take it one step further than Paul. I believe it's renewed moment by moment. Because physical blood is flowing through me right now. Physical blood is flowing through your circulatory system. A normal adult has about 70,000 miles of blood vessels and arteries and capillaries, microscopic capillaries in your body. It could stretch around the world two and a half times at the equator. Imagine that. Because every single cell has to have a constant blood supply, and that blood does two things. That blood removes the toxins from the cell. It's been contaminated by just life and being around things that uh, are pollution to the body. Sometimes we put it in our own bodies through the food we eat. But anyway, the blood will remove the toxins from the cell and then infuse every cell with life-giving oxygen from the lungs and life-giving nutrients from the digestive system. So there's a kind of a death-resurrection thing going on on a cellular basis with every passing moment because the death of toxins is sucked out of that cell and then resurrection life is infused back into it. That's natural blood. And whether you think about it or not, your circulatory system is pumping that blood at an amazing rate of speed, and it flows through your body fresh, constantly. Well, if God's provided for that in the natural, I believe he's provided something very similar in the spiritual. 
And that's the blood of Jesus flowing through the entire body of Christ that renews us to righteousness, pulls out of us the toxic elements that the world tries to put on us. And not only that, in saturating us with the nature of Jesus Christ, he gives us the power to overcome. All right, number four is hope. I love, love, love this scripture. First Peter chapter 1 Verse 3, this is a present tense right now, right here, inheritance that we have received by virtue of the resurrection of Jesus. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love the word hope. People in this world use that word almost in a sense of hopelessness. If they say, oh, I hope so, what they're really saying is probably not going to work out. But when you find the word hope in the Bible, it's word-based. It's based on the unalterable word of God and God's commitment to stand behind his word. Hope, H-O-P-E, having only positive expectations. In fact, Hope is so much a part of God. The Bible in Romans 15, 13 calls him the God of hope who will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So we're begotten again. What does that mean, begotten? It's like a new birth every day. We're begotten again to a living hope. Anything alive is growing and multiplying. And so if it's a living hope, it should be growing and multiplying every single day. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, we were once without hope. We had no hope, and we were without God in this world. But now, as believers, I like to say it this way, without Christ, without the Lord Jesus, without Yeshua, life is a hopeless end. But with him, Life is endless hope. And like Abraham, the Bible said, against hope, he believed in hope. Another translation said, when hope seemed hopeless, he kept believing God. And I challenge you to be the same way, because if the resurrected Savior is in your life, then the one who was swallowed up by death but conquered it can enable you and empower you to conquer whatever tries to swallow you up and render you hopeless. That's not what the scripture says. You are people of hope. Number five is healing. Malachi chapter four, verse two, prophesies of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with wonderful imagery. It says, but to you who fear my name, shall the son of righteousness, S-U-N, shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. What a beautiful verse. And it was to those not only who fear God, but fear his name. That means those who reverence God to such degree, they would never even speak his name with the slightest bit of irreverence or shallowness. They hallow that name. They respect that name. They reverence that name to the highest degree. And that began, of course, the day you got saved. And God promises to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall arise. Now, without sunlight, nothing could be alive in this world. There'd be no greenery, no flowers, no fruits, no vegetables. No human beings could 
live for very long. Without sunlight, that causes all the systems to work correctly. Thank God. And there's healing in sunlight. There's healing power in sunlight in a natural sense. And in a supernatural sense, when Jesus arose, he shed forth rays of his love to bring healing into our lives mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And I claim that promise for you right now. If you're suffering with sickness or disease, I declare it is the word of the Lord. It is written, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. May healing rush towards you like a ray of sunshine illuminating your situation and taking away the pain, taking away the sickness, taking away the affliction. Be healed in Jesus' name. Number six is peace, happiness, and prosperity. Peace, happiness, and prosperity are right here, right now, blessing resulting from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where do I get that? Well, every time it seemed that Jesus appeared to his disciples in the upper room, he would start out the visitation with the word shalom. Of course, that's not how it's written in your English Bibles, you find the word peace. But I'm sure Jesus didn't talk to his disciples in English. They didn't know that language. And most likely, that was such a sacred moment, he wouldn't have talked to them in Greek or Aramaic. I can only imagine him speaking Hebrew. And I can only imagine him starting off this visitation with shalom. Because, see, they valued the impartation of shalom. The priestly prayer that you can find in Numbers, where God told Aaron and his sons how to bless the children of Israel, was to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the Hebrew, give you shalom. And it means so much more than peace. That's why peace is not a suitable translation of the word shalom. Because it also means rest, welfare, health, wholeness, happiness, fullness, prosperity. It means, in a sense, nothing broken and nothing missing. Everything coming to fullness in your life. That's why when Jews greet one another, or when they depart from each other's presence, they don't say hi and bye, which are powerless words. They say shalom because it's a prophetic, prayerful proclamation. Just like Jesus did with the early church. He said, Shalom. And I believe when he said it, power came out of his mouth because life and death are in the power of the tongue. And I'm sure they felt that wholeness and fullness and healing and blessing pouring over their souls. And I claim it for you, Shalom to every one of you, because the Prince of Peace Sar Shalom in the Hebrew, the Prince of Peace, is in your life. And he came out of the chaos of death to reign in our lives with peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4, 7 says, it passes understanding. You can't comprehend it. It has to be experienced. Finally, number seven is ultimate victory and total dominion. That sounds good, doesn't it? That's a right here, right now aspect of our inheritance because we have tapped into the overflow of resurrection power that historically happened when Jesus came out of the grave. And I love 
thinking about this because I've been to that open tomb six times. In fact, Elizabeth and I renewed our vows 10 foot away from the tomb where Jesus rose from the dead, or at least the one they say he rose from. And there's such a sacred feeling in that garden. I tend to believe that's the correct location. And we exchanged these rings. I hope you can see it real well at the grave of resurrection. And there's Hebrew lettering around the outside of the ring. She's got the same one. It says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. So thinking about the resurrection affects me more than one way. But the final thing is the thing I want to leave with you. And may it be fresh in your memory for days to come. Because see, in the same chapter, that talked about how you who were dead in trespasses and sins have been made alive in Christ, quickened by Christ. It goes on to say that he has raised us up together. In other words, he's resurrected us together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Now, this is all metaphorical, not literal. But if we're sitting together, where are we sitting? Well, in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, he that overcomes, the same will sit with me in my throne as I overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. Well, whenever a king is sitting in state, he's got a footstool. And the Bible said his enemies have been made his footstool. Sin is an enemy. Satan is an enemy. Death is an enemy. The curse is an enemy. All these things have been made his footstool. And if you and I are seated with Christ, it's under our feet. I tell people when they call me all depressed, I say, keep looking down. And they say, what? Keep looking down? I said, yes, by all means, after this phone call is over, keep looking down. They said, that's not very good advice. I said, oh, yes, it is. Because you have been exalted to the highest place obtainable in the universe. You are seated with the Son of God in the throne of his authority, the place of rest, the place of victory, the place of dominion, the place of power, the place of the spoken word. And I said, you can reign with Christ from that position of enthronement over anything you face in life. Just dare to decree a thing and it shall be established unto you. Some people have a problem with the power of confession. They think that's manipulating and controlling God. No, it's not. It's cooperating with God and coming into alignment with God's dictates in our lives. He said, have faith in God. And if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can speak to the mountain. He did not say, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, beg God and he'll move the mountain for you. He taught his disciples how to take authority. And that's the position of enthronement in him. And that's a right here, right now benefit of being resurrected with Christ. And I pray you experience an overflow of victory this weekend as we all celebrate this most grand of all events that have ever taken place in this world. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. 
You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be. 